In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present among us here in the most blessed sacrament, we can consider in our meditation this morning the life of the founder of Opus Dei, St. Jose Maria Escriva, whose feast day is coming up on Monday, June 26th. Uh, and so actually today would be the, the Novena Day. I, I'm always, I'm very terrible with novenas uh, in multiple ways. One is I'm never planning enough for a big feast day or saint's day to think like, oh, nine days of preparation for the feast day would I should start early, right? It's more just spur of the moment type stuff. But also then you get a few days into it and uh, you forget that you're making a novena. And that doesn't, but today's, today's the novena day, right? It, uh, if you wanna uh, ask a special favor of St. Jose Maria or you wanna really prepare to celebrate his feast day on June 26th, uh, today's the day to start that, that time of novena. Uh, and so to consider his, his life, this, this saint uh, who was called by... Pope St. Paul VI, uh, one of the men who received the most charisms in the 20th century, right? One of the, probably one of the greatest saints of the 20th century. There are some great saints in there, but by the people that, that knew him, that interacted frequently with him, uh, he was a man who was known for his incredible holiness uh, and his, his joy. And so as we can consider his life a little bit today and some aspects of what we can what we can learn from him because the saints and this is something that that is very kind of central to the the teaching of saint jose maria and something we can learn is the saints they help translate the gospel for us right the the lives of the saints the lives of holiness of ordinary men and women uh, who are docile to the holy spirit docile to the, the gifts of God, the saints translate the gospel for us. And so when, when each one of us lives out a life of, of holiness, as we're called to, and as we see in the, in the life of St. Josemaria, it's a, it could be for us a, a translation of the gospel, that it's, it's the same gospel, it's the same message of Jesus Christ. It is, it's as old as, as the teachings of our Lord, but it has to be represented. It has to be, if you will, retranslated uh, for, for a current generation, for how do, how do I live this out? How do I take those same timeless gospel teachings and, and how do I live them in my life? In just the recent years, uh, maybe the last year or two, I, I've become unfortunately a bit more of a translation snob about scripture. Uh, and it's, it's probably not a good thing, but there's something about like, you want a, you want a good translation of the Bible and where there's something that's, that's off, there's something that's wrong. There can be a sense of, I'm not, 
I'm not receiving the gospel in its fullness. And so a, a real translation is meant to communicate the fullness of what was originally written, uh, meant to communicate the fullness of the, the author's intent. And we know, according to the teaching of the church, that the author of sacred scripture is both fully the Holy Spirit, right? Fully God, and then also fully the human author. And so uh, translations can be, they, they can be a thing. And you could get to be a bit of a snob about it or whatever, but like you just, if there's one reading the Bible and there's like one line that's wrong, that like doesn't communicate the full, like there's one translation that's really good, except at the Annunciation, Our Lady says, I have no husband, which is completely inaccurate because, you know, Mary and Joseph are betrothed. And so she, she has a husband, they just haven't lived together yet. And so it's a complete, and then for me, it ruins that whole Bible translation. But the saints are the same way, right? That we, it's, it's meant to authentically hand on what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus Christ? Am I, you know, a good translation of that? Am I a real translation? And our own particular sins, our own particular flaws, vices, these are errors in translation where something that is intended by the divine author, right? Something that's part of the original work, which is Christ, right? Jesus is the original manuscript work. He is the word, but something gets lost in translation on account of our own failings, our own weaknesses. But the, the saints for us, they are a translation of the, of the gospel. They're a translation of the person of Jesus. It's all Jesus, right? It's all how much they are living Christ, uh, but they can help us understand it in a better way. They can help us uh, contextualize it and personalize it, and it actually speaks our language. And particularly to have a saint of, of modern times, St. Jose Maria Escriva, is a, he's just a translation of Jesus for us. It's all Jesus, um, but that he can be a, um, some that help someone who helps us to understand the gospel in a fresh and new way and to understand it in the midst of the modern world. And for his feast day, right, in places where his feast day will be celebrated with the proper readings and everything like that, the reading for, his, uh, for the Mass comes from the, the reading from St. Paul for the Mass comes from the letter to the Romans, which encapsulates one of the most important points. And if you were to ask St. Jose Maria, maybe the most important point of his entire life, which is divine filiation. Right, that St. Jose Maria knew himself to be a son of God. And in a deeply intimate way, he, in 1931, uh, had, had an experience, or 1930, had a, had a deep experience of this divine filiation, that he knew himself in a deep way to be a son of God. Uh, and he lived that filiation for the rest of his life. And so the, the reading is from this chapter 8 of the letter to the Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And there's the story of when St. Josemar was hit with his grace on the feast of St. Hedwig to just know himself to be a son of God. And he just, he made that prayer, Abba, Abba, Father. 
And he was, he was riding the tram in the city of Madrid. And he just kept praying, Abba, Abba, Father. He, he said he doesn't know how long he stayed on the, on the tram car there because uh, he was just so wrapped up in that prayer, just praying, Abba, Father. And that reality of divine filiation, and, and not just the fact that we are adopted sons of the Father, but that we are aware of it, right? The, the foundation of the spirit of Opus Dei is an awareness of the, of the divine filiation, of a sense, I, I, I have a sense of my divine filiation. It's not just to be, because that's, that's actually, that happens in baptism, it's objective. But are we aware of it? Do we know, and that's so much of the message that St. Josemaria brought, is to know oneself, to be a son of God, to really know that God, God is my father. I can call him dad, right? Abba. Some, some people, you know, want to translate Abba as like daddy, um, which is good. It's, it's, you know, filial, it's, it's uh, close, but it, um, I don't know, if I were to call my father right now and say, daddy, I need something, he, you know, no, dad, right, just dad, dad, what, what are you doing? It's Father's Day weekend, right, dad. God is my dad. He's not just creator, he's dad. And there's something about dad, just the, the, the title, dad, to be dad, to be a good dad, right? God is our good dad. He's a good dad. And you could just think, like, what does a good dad do? It's a, what, are the, what are the characteristics of a good, a good dad, a good father? And, and that's the love that God, that God has for me. He's my good dad. I saw recently an Instagram reel, YouTube. The algorithm has me totally figured out. So I go back and forth with deleting Instagram and then re-downloading it because the algorithm knows me. It knows how to get my attention. And... One of the ways it gets my attention is by good dad videos. And there's something about just like a good dad video. And I, so I saw this video of this father and daughter. They were fishing and uh, the daughter was holding the fishing rod and caught a fish. And, and she's, she's, going, she's going crazy. She, I can't do this. It's too big. I can't reel it in. I can't do it. And her father's like, no, reel it in. Just reel it in. He's getting the net ready. Just reel it in. And he, you know, at one point he helps her, um, but he doesn't take the rod away from her. He doesn't just, I'll do it myself. Because, no, he's there fishing with his daughter. And, and she's like, no, dad, I need help. And eventually, you know, they get the fish. It's a big fish. He catches it in the net. And then just the joy, the joy of this daughter, like jumping around on the boat and screaming and hugging her dad and the whole, and it was just so beautiful. And it's a great model of, you know, for me, that's a good, good model. Like what a spiritual fatherhood is a priesthood, right? Helping people in their apostolate and the joy when, when someone, when you, when you finally get someone that, that is interested in the gospel, but helping each person kind of reel in the, the fish. Um, but then the overwhelming joy and the dad, right? Just this good dad. Well, that's what God is for us. God's our good dad. And St. Jose Maria knew that. And he taught that. And, and it was a bedrock of all of his teaching was this divine filiation that we know ourselves. We know we're not confused about whose children we are. We are sons of God, that we've been adopted and adoption, you know, real adoption into the life of the Trinity. I really call the father, dad, not just, you know, the, the whole Trinity, 
But like in Christ, having put on Christ and being another Christ, we call the Father Dad, Father, Abba. We have that relationship, affiliation, which then is able to sustain us through the midst of anything that we encounter in the day, any changes that may come up, any, any difficulties in our life, anything that happens. I know myself to be a son of God. And so, so that, if that's the most important thing, then, then nothing else matters. There was a moment, Samson Maria in his life experienced tremendous persecutions uh, in so many ways, but particularly from those that were opposed to this, this work that he had been called to found, Opus Day. And so he, he was very docile to the Spirit. We'll get to that in a moment. But it was so, he was so opposed and he was so misunderstood. And there were times when he was being denounced. He was being denounced in Franco's Spain as a Mason, which could have easily gotten thrown in jail or even executed, right? He was being denounced to the Vatican as a heretic. And there's all these things and uh, there's so many people that are trying to just kill the work that he's been called to do and, you know, denouncing him to people in the, in the Curia. But in the midst of all these, of these trials, you know, he was coming home one day back to Villa Tevere where they all lived and there was construction work going on and there was um, like a plank of wood that was set up on a sawhorse such that you could use it as a seesaw if you wanted to. And so there's one other fellow there and he said, let's, you know, let's play with this for a few minutes, right? And they seesawed up and down. And in the midst of these terrible persecutions and after he said to the, the guy, he's like, like why, why shouldn't I be joyful? Like, I'm a son of God. Like, who cares that all these people are trying to persecute me and kill this work that I've been called to do and denouncing me? I'm a son of God. Why shouldn't I be joyful? And when, you know, if we, if we can have the grace to see that, like, why, why shouldn't I be joyful? In the midst of, of all these things, St. Jose Maria teaches that, that divine affiliation, the sense of, of divine affiliation. But he does it in a way that is, for us, very, very modern. There's so many things about St. Jose Maria's life that are, are very contemporary. They're very modern to us. And so it's, it's something that we can understand. We can see and understand some of these elements of his life because he lived, you know, in the modern world, something that we can identify with. He always was seeking to live more and more this life of spiritual childhood and striving to, to grow in holiness as a saint. It's never like you get to a point, like you think of San Jose Maria, who's a contemporary also, you know, Padre Pio, they're living right around the same time. And you don't get the sense that they, they got to a point where they're like, all right, like I'm good. I'm a saint. Like I'm clearly going to get canonized after I die. So we could just coast, right? We're we're good. I remember I said, um, after I was ordained, and you know, so much of seminary is just got to get to ordination. You're just going to get to ordination, right? And it's just about, about getting ordained. And Lord, like help me be a good priest. I want to be a good priest. And I met with my spiritual director for spiritual direction like the week or two after ordination. And I said, I don't, I don't know what to do now. Like the next important life thing I have to do is die. Uh, like, the, what, what am I supposed to do? I've just been aiming for this thing, right? And it could be the same thing in marriage. Like, it's just get to marriage. No, marriage is day one. Like, it's just the first day. It's not like, oh, we're married. Great. Just coast for the next 60, 70 years, right? No, it's rather, it's, this is just the beginning. And so the saints never got to a point where they're like, yeah, I'm there. Radical holiness, right? Um, good reputation for holiness. 
I don't need to put any more work. No, St. Jose Maria every day was, was working, daily striving to, to grow in these, in these little ways of holiness. He's a man who lived total docility to the Holy Spirit. He was totally open to wherever the Holy Spirit wanted to lead him. And when we consider him as a saint, you know, sometimes we could think of the saints, they're, they're isolated individuals. I don't know how many people any of us could name that were living in Madrid in the early 1930s, right? Late 20s. Maybe some that were associated with San Jose Maria, if you know his life, but like probably not that many, but we, you maybe know him, right? I don't know how many people that I can name that were living anywhere in Italy in the time of St. Francis, whose statue is in the back, but on the back wall, right? St. Francis. I don't know how many I can name that were living there, but I know St. Francis. And so what happens is we think of the saints as isolated people. They're, they're totally isolated. They're like statues in a church, right? One statue, but they're not. They were, they were part of a crowd. They were part of their time. They lived right in the midst of the everyday circumstances. And so St. Maria lived right in these midst of the, the everyday circumstances. He was one of a large number of priests, like a lot of priests in Madrid. So many that they actually stopped. Like you couldn't, if you were a priest somewhere in Spain, you couldn't come to Madrid because there were too many priests, right? Imagine that problem. That's something we're totally unacquainted with. But like there are too many priests in Madrid. So if you're not, if you don't have a reason to be here, stay away. And San Jose Maria had a reason. He was studying law, and then he was doing other work, and he was the chaplain of, of different churches. So he kind of found a reason to get to Madrid. Um, but they were like, they were throwing, they were, we don't want you here. Go back home. Uh, too many priests in Madrid. Uh, and so he was one of many. It's not like he was just the one person. He was one of so many priests, but it was he who was called and was docile to the gifts of God. And he was called on October 2nd, 1928, to do this, this work of God, um, to be an instrument of God in the bringing of Opus Dei into the world. Opus Dei, which is the way, a way, a way of sanctification, particularly uh, focusing on the, the holiness of the lay faithful and then diocesan priests by extension. Um, but it's, it's about holiness. It's a lay holiness. It's not religious holiness watered down for lay people, but rather that the lay faithful, right in the midst of the world, right in the midst of their state in life, can pursue radical holiness. And so he saw this, this, this openness to holiness, the way that so many, and he saw that there was like God, God wanted something, and it was in the middle of, of his uh, annual retreat. And his plans from that day on, like he, it, it got flipped upside down. Right? His whole life kind of pivoted on a number of moments, but that, that was one of them. Where uh, This is a big one, right? He dedicated the whole rest of his life to bringing to fruition this, this thing that he'll say he, he saw. And he didn't, he didn't even like being called the founder of Opus Dei, even though the title of the best biography about him, three volumes, is called The Founder of Opus Dei. He, he didn't like being called the founder of Opus Dei. He's like, God founded it. I'm just the instrument. Right? I'm, not, I'm not the one who came up with anything. I was just the instrument that God chose to preach this, this holiness, to preach this, this way of, of radical holiness, but lived in ordinary circumstances. Scott Hahn has a great book about Opus Dei called uh, Ordinary Work, Extraordinary Grace. And so, you know, he's, he's the instrument of that. 
But in the midst of that, he needs to stay incredibly docile, that he had to kind of, okay, what does God want me to do? So at first, in his humility, not wanting to found anything, he's like, there's got to be another group. Like, there's got to be some other group. Like, God just wants you to bring a certain spirituality, but to bring it. And he even looked, he looked at a couple of different things. There's Catholic action at the time. He looked at the Knights of Columbus. Like, he's like, okay, maybe we're just meant to be a branch of the Knights of Columbus. And, and so he, he looked into that. Um, but then so, no, none of those kind of exactly met what he saw. But for his docility, right, he's just like, okay, God has a mission, a plan for me. And how am I going to fill that? How am I going to live that out? How am I really going to fulfill God's plan for me? And so he had the, a real openness, and he was letting God lead him in a, in a very um, simple and, and beautiful way. He just, um, God, was, God was leading and guiding him. And particularly, uh, there's a, the, the great story of the founding of, of the women's branch, right? And this is a, a wonderful example for, you know, the, the women's... He, he was saying, like, there will never, ever, ever be women in Opus Dei, right? Like, what I'm called to found is just for men. I'm just, I'm working with men. He's working with university students. It's only men, men only, right? Um, uh, he said, there's nothing other difference between Opus Dei and the company of St. Paul other than the fact that we do not admit women in any capacity whatsoever. And then a few days later, he's celebrating Mass on February 14th, 1930. Uh, 1930 and, he, um, and God shows him, like, actually, there's going to be women in Opus Dei. Like, you know, I know that you think there's not going to be, but there is. There's going to be women in Opus Dei. And he just saw it, like, when he was, was celebrating. Okay, I guess I guess I misunderstood that, right? Thank you, Lord. And, and he, he later wrote, I always believed and still believe that our Lord, as on other occasions, managed me in such a way that there would be clear external objective proof that the work was his. I said, I don't want women in Opus Dei. And God said, well, I do, right? And that's, that is a, a, a sign of his holiness that he, was, he allowed himself to be managed um, by God, and at times, maybe micromanaged, right? That many of us probably hate, you know, being micromanaged. Don't, don't tell me how to do my job. Well, same as we really let God tell him how to do his job. He, he allowed himself to be, to be led and guided by Almighty God in, in all these ways. And then you're called to, to be this instrument, and you're just getting the work off the ground. Uh, and some of the earliest uh, members, the, the first kind of people that joined on, they all got arrested and deported for political um, protests in the time right before the Spanish Civil War. So you think like, all right, I've got a good group of guys I can depend on. And they take place in a protest and they get deported. And so, all right, well, what are we going to do now? Right? So you get a few others. And then the Spanish Civil War happens and they all ha- he has to go into hiding. And he's being hunted down. And people are looking to murder him. And okay, like this is, this is God's, God's plan, right? God is, God is leading and guiding this. There's another story of his docility uh, that when all these persecutions were happening in the Vatican, among people working in the Curia, 
and all this, and there, there's some real opposition to Opus Dei, like real hard opposition. And every time someone opposed it, from the very early stages, he would say, like, great, denounce me to the bishop. Let's have the bishop decide. Because the, the bishop, you know, let's let the hierarchy decide about this. So, okay, we need the bishop. The bishop says, yeah, this is good, right? Well, no, the bishop's decision still isn't good enough. So now we're going we're gonna to appeal you to the Vatican, right? We're going we're gonna to denounce you to the Great, let the Vatican decide, right? Let Peter, the Pope, decide. Let's say the Pope either gonna, is going to bless this, or if the Pope says, no, this isn't good, then, then let it die. And he actually prayed at one point, right? If Opus Dei, Lord, if, if you want it, like, you can kill Opus Dei. Like, you, here's somebody devoted so much time, so much prayer, so much sacrifice, and he said, but if you, want, if you want it gone, and that's the sacrifice that you ask of me, that this thing that you've called me to, to work on is, is going to disappear, uh, then I'm willing to surrender even that. Like that, that separates varsity from junior varsity with regard to docility to God's will. This good thing, Lord, that you've given me, if you, if you want to take even that away, the thing that I think is, is I'm pursuing holiness in doing this work for you, and if you decide to destroy it, and if it's not of you, Lord, destroy it. Get rid of it. That, that is a deep and radical holiness. But in his translation of the gospel for us, one of the things that people that knew St. Jose Maria and the, the generation of them that personally knew him is, is advancing in age and slowly passing on. But people would always comment, like, yeah, he was a man of tremendous holiness, but he was also a man of, of great humor. And he, he understood, like, he just lived in the world. And so he was able to live these, these humorous events. Uh, and there's just some, some little stories of the way that we, we can learn that holiness doesn't make us weird, right? Don't, don't be weird. Uh, don't, be, don't be, holiness isn't that we're walking around with frowns all the time because I'm holy. Don't talk to me because I'm holy. And I'm going to be a grump because that's what it means to be holy. No, Samson Maria was his smile. People, people would talk about his smile. There was one day that he was in a bad mood. Um, and I recently uh, read this anecdote for a situation in my own ministry. But he was in a really bad mood. He was angry about something. And then he got angry at himself for being angry. And so he went to an a automatic passport photo booth uh, there in Madrid. Right? And he just hopped into one of these photo booths and had a a row of pictures taken of him with his grumpy face on. And he looked at them and he said, look how ridiculous I look. Like, Saint Jose Maria, Jose Maria, he didn't call himself Saint Jose Maria, right? Jose Maria, look how dumb you look with that grumpy face on. Um, and he cut out one of those pictures. He threw away the other five, cut out one of them. He kept it in his wallet for a month as a reminder of just like, look how dumb I look when I'm being a grump. And, and we can, you know, that's, that's something, okay, took some pictures of himself looking grumpy. He's an, he's an ordinary man, but living this, this extraordinary holiness. Or, and this is another little thing that I learned from him, when he was uh, playing cards, particularly in the, in the legation of Honduras, when they were hiding during the Spanish Civil War and tensions were high. And so he'd play cards with the guys there to pass some of the time, but he would cheat. He would very deliberately cheat in order that they could be humble, right? So he would win because he would cheat, um, but he did, he did it very explicitly, um, but so that they, they could be humble, right? He taught humility through these, through these little things, right? He used all of these little, these little anecdotes, these little moments with, with great joy 
in, in great humor and always with a smile. And so we too, you know, reading the translation of the life of Christ in his servant, Jose Maria Escriva, we should see then how do we translate the gospel, right? We're, we're living right here in the middle of the 21st century, called to be radical saints, not being weird, um, but also living right in the middle of the world, right? Sanctifying life, not as a form of watered down uh, religious life, consecrated life. No, if you're going to live consecrated life, you live it to the full. We don't live a watered down consecrated life, but rather right in the middle of the world, sanctifying our daily work, being tremendously docile to the Holy Spirit. What are the ways that we can be called? To be open to God, uh, to, to do little acts of piety throughout the day, to spend some time in, in daily prayer, um, but also just throughout the entire day, being docile to the Holy Spirit. One last little story, uh, again from his early days in Madrid, that Samson Mary, he, he had had kind of a, a dry time of prayer, and this would happen to him at times. He just like he'd go to pray and be very dry, and he'd be a little restless, and you know who hasn't that happened to? But then he went to go to the park, and he's just trying to read the newspaper. Right? Like the guy just wants to read the newspaper, and it's then that God, like, no, this is, this is the time of our prayer now. And he says, prayer came upon me with such force against my will that I had to stop reading because that's, then he had to pray, right? And then how many acts of love and abandonment to Jesus that Jesus put in my heart and on my lips? How many lo- acts of love? And the guy's just reading the newspaper, and he has to stop. He just can't keep reading because he's being called upon to pray. And so we, in the midst of our everyday, where can we be called upon to just pray? Like, all right, Lord, like, this is when you want to talk to me. This is, this is when we're going to have our conversation. Um, I can put aside the headlines. I could put aside Instagram. I could put aside Facebook. And we're, we're just going to talk. We're going to pray. Synodism is a great translation of the gospel for each one of us. He can teach us how to live radical holiness, docility to the Holy Spirit, knowing ourselves to be sons of God, but right in the midst of of our daily work, right where we are. So we should ask him to pray for us and maybe begin the time of novena asking for a very specific way of how we can live these, these virtues of his life a little bit more intentionally and that he can teach us how to grow in that extraordinary holiness. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.